Welcome to the Israel Conversation by Massah Leadership and Impact Center, the content engine behind Massah Israel Journey. We bring contemporary, challenging, and compelling Israel issues to light in ways that help us stay connected with what's really going on on the ground. I am your host, Michael Unterberg, joined today by producer co-host, Matthew Lippman. How you doing, Matt? Very well, thank you, Mike. Pleasure to join you as always. Well, it is always a pleasure to hang out with you, although our topic for today is a pretty disturbing, upsetting, and troubling topic for everyone, I guess, but also many of our students have been asking us. And so we've invited an expert to help explain to us about the current terror wave and security situation in Israel. Matt, would you please introduce our guest? Yes, with pleasure. Uh, we're joined this morning by Manny Fabian. Manny's currently studying for a degree at Ben Gurion University, which is almost completed. Um, and he is also the Times of Israel's military correspondent, so a real expert in the field for us this morning. Good morning. Hi there. So we, we don't have to call you doctor yet, Dr. Fabian? No, yet? no, nowhere near that. <laughs> Just money is okay. Okay. Well, I mean, I think uh, it's it, certainly my students have been asking me uh, about what's different about this particular wave of terror that we find ourselves in, in, in this current situation. And I, I think there are, uh, uh, it, it is one of these, little, oh, the other question they keep asking me is, is this, a, is this another intifada? So the, if, I, if I'm just presenting you student questions that we get, let's open with the voice of uh, Massa Fellows and the sort of things they're asking. Right. So what is uh, really different about this wave? It's hard to pinpoint because there's a lot of the attacks we've seen are quite similar to ones we've seen in previous years. In 2015, 2016, there was a wave of attacks then um, and also earlier in the intifadas. Um, so I'm not sure how much is different, but there was something that I did notice is um, the attacks have been a lot more deadly. Mm. Um, there was several attacks in a row, the one in Be'er Sheva, the one in Hadera, the one in Tel Aviv, the one in Bnei Brak. They were all very you know, unfortunately, very deadly attacks resulting in three people killed, five people killed, two people killed. So there's definitely some sort of change um, from, you know, one person um, going around, um, you know, stabbing a police officer and then immediately uh, getting taken down to um, to somebody with a gun and then being able to get away with it for quite a long time, like we saw in Tel Aviv. It does seem like more guns and more shooting and more yeah. ammunition availability. And also the first two, I guess, that started the wave were ISIS-inspired Israeli Arabs as opposed to West Bank Arabs. Which yeah. I... um, that, that was interesting because um, there was an initial thought that the attack in uh, Beersheva inspired the one in Hadera. Uh -huh. That because it was one attack by an Islamic State-inspired person, then the next attack would inspire others. But it did turn out in the end that um, the two attackers from Hadera were actually planning to commit their attack before the one in Beersheba. Mm -hmm. And something went wrong along the way and they returned home and then they only committed uh, the attack later. So... It, they kind of got thrown out the window that it may may have inspired the next one, and as a result of all, as a result of those two attacks, then the police have you know tried to clamp down on all the all the people that they know who are inspired by Islamic State or have previously were affiliated with the Islamic State, and um, they've been arresting something like 
40 or 50 people have been arrested already. Can I ask you a cynical uh, question? Yeah, sure. When, (laughs) When the news reports that security forces have stopped an attack before it happened. Yeah. So I guess, A, should I trust that that they're telling me the truth? And B... Aren't they kind of doing that all the time? Like, why why is that yeah. a news story? So, so definitely all the time. Um, the the IDF and the, and the police and the Shimbet they're all always arresting people every single night. Yeah, uh, and a lot of the time they are preventing attacks. So there's definitely it's it's a bit cynical to think about it like this, but there there is definitely a bit of um kind of pr going on along mm-hmm. here where there's been a few attacks so now they're going to announce every single arrest they're going to make to kind of show that they are actually doing something to prevent these attacks so i think uh two nights ago something like 20 people were arrested in the west bank but that's not exactly unheard of that happens right. basically every night um but it comes following all the attacks so it, it does i think put people a bit at, uh, at ease when they hear that people who are suspected of planning an attack or were involved in a previous attack are being arrested. But um, there was I, there was that case on um, a couple of weeks ago where, where three gunmen were heading to Israel. Uh, three, um, three members of the uh, Palestinian Islamic mm-hmm. Jihad terror mm-hmm. group. So they, they were, they were on their way to Israel and then they, stop them on the way, uh, the the police special forces. So that was definitely an attack that was uh, prevented. Mm-hmm. So, so overall... Just to, I just want to pick you, back on your question, Mike. Ahead, like, so yeah. well, what constitutes on the way, right? Like if they're in the car and the police stop them, right? That's on the way. But if they're sort of like sitting around watching TV, considering, oh, should we do an attack or not tonight? Like, do, do, do you understand what I mean? Without mm-hmm, wishing yeah. to make light of it. But what, what counts as right, it's, in it's process? Right. It's really... It's really difficult to know um, when when the army says they arrested twenty people. You don't know how many of them were, you know, immediately planning an attack, or some which of them threw a rock at some some soldiers the day before because they count that as well. They count it all as just all of its terror activities, and mm-hmm. no matter what it is, if they have uh, weapons or if they threw a rock at someone. Um, so it's it's really difficult to know. But you know, according to at least the Shin Bet. More or less every year, they prevent around 500 or so actual attacks. That's what, according to their statistics. So that's 500 or so people a year that that were planning on committing some sort of attack, whatever kind of attack it may be. So it's, I think it's better to look at it like that, whereas um, they're always going to be stopping people prevent um, um, planning an attack. And um, looking at it now with each individual case is a bit difficult because they're not... Right. It's not really clear to what extent they they were ready to commit their attack or not. But as citizens, we should sort of assume that they're telling us what they think is the truth. In other words, they're not just. I, I think as citizens, we should we should look at it like that they they are stopping these attacks, and uh-huh. there's definitely no a hundred percent. There's always going to be some that slip through, and some attacks that happen. It's it, it's impossible to stop all of them. Um, and all the 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 current like the last few days, there's been a lot of uh, arrests going on in the northern West Bank, where um, the terrorists from uh, Tel Aviv uh, hailed from mm. from the Janine area, and the one that uh, that committed the attack in Bnei Brak as well. They're both from uh, nearby areas in the Janine area. Um, 
So over there, they are doing a lot, a lot of arrests right now. They're trying to find the family of the terrorist that committed the attack in Tel Aviv, um, because they think he was involved somehow. Either he knew of it, or he drove him to the fence where he crossed. So we, we citizens should believe that that the military is doing something in response to these attacks and definitely preventing more attacks. But it's a day to day thing. Regardless, it happens all year round. It's not, it's not like um, anything different really is happening right now. Yeah, because I mean, the cynical spin is that it's just PR. But the if I wanted to look at it more positively, one of you know the goal of terrorism is to make citizens feel scared out of proportion to the actual danger, and so that those sort of press releases you could see as part of the pushback of citizens. Don't be worried. You know, we, you know it's under. It's not under control, but it's we're we're addressing it. And yeah, so, they're, they're they're basically saying that we are actually doing something uh, about it. And um, I remember as well in 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 two thousand fifteen sixteen, um, they stopped doing this. I think one of the military spokespersons got changed, and they stopped this. But every night they, well, every morning they would announce who they uh, how many people they arrested the night before. A very brief statement the army would release every single morning. Mm. Uh, and back then amid uh, a wave of attacks and uh, it's, they're doing something similar now where it's uh, every every day they're announcing like we arrested 20, 30 people who were all planning attacks or involved in attacks and it happened the whole time anyway but now they're they're giving a bit more information on it so that the, the, the civilians actually know what's going on so unfortunately we have these waves and when there's one of these waves this is more or less standard operating procedure to to bring calm during a wave. That's um, really Because we're talking about the press here. I, I, I have an, a question for you, Manny, because, um, for example, you brought up the terrorist attack that was last week um, in Tel Aviv. And when they were trying to catch the terrorists, right, that we saw journalists, like, literally yeah. chasing around with the special forces. Like, you, it, it was, was so crazy. Much it was criticism of bad journalists, yeah. And, and I'm, uh, I'm interested as a journalist, right, what your perspective on it is, because on the one hand, you probably want to bring us the story. On the other hand, did you feel like, is that not the right thing to do? Like follow special forces around while they're trying to catch someone? Like, where's the balance there? Yeah, there's, in, you, in there, your professional opinion. In, in my opinion, like, it's, it's a, it was a very complicated situation. And, and to put it this way, um, I think some of the reporters that were asked to like move out the way and didn't move out the way or were, you know, doing things that are obstructing a bit, maybe a bit uh, illegal or a bit dangerous for them to do. I mean, I don't, I don't think that was probably the best idea, but at the same time, the police had a very difficult time getting control of the situation. Anyway, it was a balagan, as we say here. Um, you had a terrorist who was on the run for like nine hours. Uh, they didn't know who he was. And for about three hours, he, didn't even know his identity. Uh, they were searching buildings. They didn't even know if he was in any of the buildings. So there was a bit of a balagan there. And, and I think it's, to some extent, I think it's fine that the media was covering how the police were not managing the situation. But then there was also, you know, running after the cops and, and getting in their way and, and putting cameras in people's faces and or listening into radios. That was another thing that happened mm -hmm. on TV. They were like, some some correspondents were you know putting their microphones into the police uh, radios and and listening in and reporting on where they were going next and I think that's maybe people should be uh, a bit uh, 
Like, yeah, like the I, reporters I, should be a bit more careful about this. I don't think maybe. I think I think uh, to me, yeah. I'll be less polite than you because I'm yeah, not sure. sure. <laughs> like I, I I I think it's absolutely irresponsible. But to yeah. state the sort of obvious to point out the obvious it's television news and so television news has to keep the viewer engaged in the screen and so they're incentivized to find any interesting thing to put on the screen and once it's a big news event they kind of preempt all the programming so the people standing there with microphones have to keep talking so any rumor anything that pops into their ear they were reporting things that weren't true that were coming across well we haven't confirmed it but then why are you saying it and why are you and why are you showing us there is the, the the responsibility of journalism is to inform citizenry what they need to know to be responsible citizens i don't need to follow a shabak guy but, but i'll add the the police and the army and the shimbet all responded the next day uh with this uh, statement saying that they uh they weren't very happy with 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 what happened and they said something along the lines of uh uh, we don't want this to turn into a reality show, or some people turned it into a reality show mm-hmm. um, without uh, censorship and without self-criticism, and people were just doing whatever they want. And um, and also the the networks themselves said they would, um, you know, take a bit of introspect and take a look and see how they could change their uh, the way they do things. But I don't think anything will change because in the end of the day, the TV networks are trying to grab attention, like you said. If they, you know, go to a break during a manhunt for a terrorist in Tel Aviv, they're going to lose their viewership instantly and it's all going to go to another channel and they don't want that. So none of the networks took a break during the whole right. manhunt, basically. And they just kept oh, going really, and trying to chase whatever was there. It was a striking event. I don't remember the last time there was an event like that where people in Tel Aviv were told, stay in your house and keep away from your windows, you know, at night in Tel Aviv on a Thursday, busy Thursday night. My, several of my students were saying to me, like, that one, look, they're, 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 our current stu- gap year students are young enough that they don't really, uh, certainly not, they don't remember the second intifada, but even other waves, they were young enough that th- this is striking them as uh, a new event for them, even though we're more used to these sorts of time periods. But a club in Tel Aviv, some of my students were like, whoa, that's uh, that's really... They're, they're sort of they think of it as this oh at some checkpoint a soldier was stabbed they don't think of it as the kind of thing that affects real Israelis I mean they they know that but they felt it differently this time that real Israeli life was disrupted yeah when it happens in the middle of Tel Aviv on Dizengoff Street which everyone knows is like the the street to be out on a Thursday night um, yeah there's something definitely dis- disruptive about that and especially with the manhunt going on for nine hours or so. That also um, definitely uh, shook the the whole area, and it wasn't something that was uh, over and done with in a second, like some other attacks. And, and should we be concerned that terrorists have more firepower than they seem to used to? You know, in the in the stabbing and car ramming wave from a few years ago, there wasn't. Think, but there, here you have automatic weapons fire. I mean, that's... yeah, it, it's it's definitely concerning. I think there's there's so many weapons uh, floating around. Uh, also in in among Palestinians in the West Bank and also in Arab Israelis in, in Israel proper, there's thousands, even maybe even hundreds of thousands of illegal weapons, and not just um, uh, the makeshift uh, guns that some have used. The last uh, few attacks have used um, what they what what the security forces usually call like um, quality weapons. We're talking about. Um, you know, like a proper gun and, and a proper rifle, 
and not something that was made with a bits and parts and a and a bit of a tube from some other <laughs> from from I don't know from, that they found somewhere. Because uh, you know ba back in twenty fifteen sixteen we did see some shooting attacks, but they were usually with uh, makeshift guns and they tend to jam and they're not very accurate and not very effective. But and these the, are professional. Yeah, so they call them quality weapons because you know they're of good quality. The attack in Brebrak, uh, they I don't think they know exactly where the gun came from. Um, that was it was either suspected that it was um, smuggled over from Jordan or maybe bits and pieces were put together from uh, from some old stolen parts from the army. But that was a proper uh, M16 rifle, and the attack in Tel Aviv as well. It was, um, I don't know the exact model, but it was a proper um, 9mm pistol. It wasn't any uh, sort of makeshift gun. So that's definitely a, a concerning factor. And that's also something that's been different, like I mentioned earlier, that the, the attacks have been very... A, lo a, lot, a lot of the attacks have been using actual guns and, uh, and not, not like uh, knives or car rammings like we saw once. And is this something that the security infrastructure can clamp down on to reduce that number? Or... Once it's you know the, you can't put the toothpaste back really in the tube. They're trying. I'll give them credit. They are really trying to 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 you know clamp down on the illegal guns that are floating around everywhere, and also the smuggling attempts. Uh, it's very difficult for uh, the police and the army to to prevent the smuggling attempts on the Jordanian border because it's such a long, vast, empty border with very little. Uh, security patrolling on it but they they manage they've been managing a bit more recently um but these smuggling attempts are, are crazy there there was one a week ago where they found something like 50 something guns coming over at once and um that's one that they prevented so think about how many they you know didn't prevent so it's it's really like a lot, a lot of guns are coming into that area so these weapons that are coming in because you, you mentioned before that you know, some of them are coming from the uh, Arab-Israeli areas as well. Are, are the weapons sort of smuggled in or brought in because people just want to have guns or because it's to do with the violence within the community themselves or because they're being intended for terrorist use? Like, Or is it just, let's get guns and then we'll figure out what to do with them? Right, before. so so there's a, there's a few answers to this. I mean, you touched on basically all of them um, where there's been a slow sort of process of uh, less enforcement in the uh, Israeli Arab community, which has slowly resulted in more people getting guns for themselves, either for all sorts of criminal purposes or for gangs. And there's just been this whole kind of process of loads of guns just ending up in the Arab community for all sorts of reasons. And I think at some point, Israel's enemies, I would say, uh, Iran and Iran-backed groups, um, kind of identified this flaw uh, that Israel has with, with its enforcement of the Arab community and realized that it could, in fact, use this as, an, as a sort of an advantage to be able to uh, commit terror attacks against Israelis. So from the, Le from the Lebanese side, um, there was a whole bunch of smuggling uh, attempts in, in the last year or so of guns from Lebanon. And at some point, the army figured out that it was... Uh, some senior Hezbollah commander who was coordinating these uh, smuggling attempts in order to, uh, according to the military's assessments, to arm Arab Israelis in the event of, you know, violence again, in, in you know, communal violence like we saw in the war in last year. 
that um, more Arabs Less would men. have weapons to commit attacks with. That's an assessment. I mean, it's it's difficult to to prove it completely, but there's definitely been a, an attempt to smuggle more and more weapons uh, into Israel from from Lebanon and also from Jordan. But it's hard to say how many from Jordan quite yet. Does the security establishment get concerned when a leading Arab member of Knesset tells Israeli Arab police to put down their guns and stop helping Israeli security forces maintain security because that's like oh, treasonous. So the, the or... situation with 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 Ode, with Ayman Ode, the head of the joint list. I mean, to me, so, that just seems unbelievably inappropriate for a member of Knesset to tell. Yeah, especially in the light of the fact that Arabs have died in this terror wave, including Arab security forces helping yeah, to protect Jews true. and and There's, Arabs. Regarding that, regarding what he said. Um, I believe the police have asked the state prosecution to look into him, or maybe not the state prosecution, the um, the uh, attorney general of the Knesset, mm-hmm. um, to look into what he said to see if it's considered incitement or not. There's this whole situation going on there. And then there's also uh, MKs trying to, uh, at the same time, oust him for what he said. But they need to prove that it was actually incitement first. It's more of a legal problematic thing. Uh, I think the police were rightfully very annoyed by what he said, and they believe it's dangerous what he said, because uh, that could you know easily cause um, both Arabs in the police force to you know suddenly quit because of what he said, or or other ones to you know be incited and attack security forces over what he said. I think they, the police commissioner as well um, made some comments about that, how he how he was very not happy with, with what Oda said. But I'm not sure really how much uh, of an effect that will have now in the short term. Maybe in the long term it will. We'll see I mean, it happens. seems to me that whatever, you know, in the Knesset, you can take whatever political position you want. But if you're talking about one thing we should all agree on, no matter where you are, you know, left, right or center in the Knesset, we should all be working together to maintain peace and quiet and stability and security. And so when you say to security forces, put down your guns, don't help maintain security. That's just, if I were a security person, I would be I would be freaking out whether I was Jewish like, or Arab. I'm not a, a political expert, but yeah. there's, there's been some, some sort of theory, and um, the Ram chairman Mansour Abbas said this as well, that he's only trying to distance himself from a possibility that he can... Uh, pull down the government. There's this because the government's currently not very stable. There's mm-hmm. this whole thing sort of there. So he kind of went out and said something crazy in order to be able to not fit Discount on either side. From yeah, something point. something like that. I'm not, I don't know exactly how how that's gonna work because if, if, you know not not a few months ago, uh, Oda himself stood in front of the the Knesset and said and he begged uh, for police forces to enter Arab towns and start yeah, sure. uh, collecting the guns. So oh, he's been like, seen over the last few years. He's, you know, he's, he's a relative newcomer to Israeli politics yeah. and he was always portrayed as this like model of coexistence and yeah, yeah. yes, so he I doesn't, think, you know, whatever his beliefs are, but, but this, this to me is a sacred cow. Like once you start yeah. you, uh, you play whatever political game you want for whatever political reason you want, but don't try to undermine security during a terror wave, especially when Arabs have given their lives. Yeah. Yeah, there's, a there's, Druze and a Christian Arab who who gave their lives protecting citizens of Israel. It's extremely it's, uh, problematic if indeed it is just some sort of political uh, move here. Um, 
It's problematic yeah. if it's more than that. I mean, either, either I don't way, know which yeah. is worse. Yeah, either way, it's just either way. It's not. It's not the not not really a, a great thing to be to be saying right now. Is it fair to say, and just sort of a broader question, in a terror wave, that there's a difference between? I, I often hear people say, "Well, one man's freedom fighter is another man's terrorist." But is it fair to say that what's going on in Ukraine of civilians with guns fighting off Russian soldiers is guerrilla warfare in defense of a country, but targeting civilians is terrorism? In other words, one man's freedom fighter, a freedom fighter is somebody who fights a civilian fighting soldiers invading their country. But if you're targeting murdering civilians, that's terrorism. Is that, am yeah. I, am I, yeah. No, you're, you're, you're correct there. I think that this big you should make this uh, this distinction here because the attack in Tel Aviv was one gunman coming and shooting people in a bar, and that that's terrorism, really. It's to to create fear, and that's not even close to being comparable to um, Ukraine fighting off an invading uh, Russian army. Uh, and I've seen people try and compare it and say yeah. like, "Oh, they're freedom fighters, and you call this terrorism?" No, this. One is clearly terrorism. One is clearly not terrorism. Um, but then the, this sort of gray area in between comes when you look at, um, at the West Bank and then there's, you know, soldiers, you know, trying to arrest people. And then they come under gunfire by Palestinians, like in a refugee camp. And there you can think, I don't know if that's, you know, terrorism really, because it's, you know, shooting at soldiers who are coming into a refugee camp to, during a raid that's where that's where I um, maybe would say it's not terrorism. Sure, the people who yeah. are shooting are members of a, of a terrorist organization, but it's hard to call that terrorism. You could just call it a gun battle between armed Palestinians and, and Israeli troops, really. And even if, from their perspective, they're fighting, for, you know, they think that's going yeah, to yeah. Maybe solve they're fighting the for for. I don't for have a problem not their, calling. Yeah. yeah. Exactly, and it's the soldier's so. responsibility to protect themselves and shoot that guy. But, exactly. but that doesn't mean that that guy was performing an act of terrorism at that moment. Yeah. Kidnapping Gilad Shalit and killing his tank mates. I don't, I'm yeah, comfortable so, saying that's not terrorism. That's, yeah, it's not exactly. That's where we need to kind of draw the line is, are you, is, is the goal of the, of the attack really to instill fear or to kill innocent people? Or even, you know, I, I would also say that, you know, shooting at soldiers at a, guarding a town as, as well as that could also be terrorism uh, as well i don't think um you would call that freedom fighting but mm -hmm. but um but yeah i've seen a lot of comparisons to, to ukraine and why is that okay and that's not okay but you have to look at the individual uh incidences and and say like you know what is really the goal of the what what, what was the incident here like was it attacking a, yeah uh, as a journalist do you, who makes the decisions about the sort of language, right? The, the Mike was mm. making those distinctions. Do, do you make those choices or do your editors sometimes, tell you to make those sometimes choices? It's, or? It's, it's an editor's choice. Um, I would say like when I'm, when I'm, you know, writing about something on Twitter, um, I never feel comfortable saying um, it was a terrorist attack until I know for sure it was a terrorist attack. Uh, like the, the attack in Tel Aviv, um, there was at least, half an hour to an hour where police were were not really sure how many gunmen if it was some sort of criminal incident or something like that same with the attack in Bnei Brak. um initially it was the police uh said that someone on a motorcycle was riding around shooting at someone and that sounded very 
criminally um, kind of uh, mm. kind of an incident. Where like a mob hit like, or something. Yeah, something like that. So I, I personally wait uh, for a bit just to be sure, just to find out exactly. Um, and also with back, going back to Tel Aviv, the identity of the gunman wasn't clear for several hours. So it's really impossible to know. Like, we didn't know if he was um, Palestinian or, or an Arab-Israeli or just some random shooter you know we, we don't know these things so i think it's always good to maybe wait before calling something terrorism before we know like really all the details and i'll give one last example on um a couple nights ago in ashkelon somebody attempted to snatch or did snatch a gun from a soldier and that was immediately all the news networks reported this as a terrorist attack as a, a terrorist took a soldier's gun and then he was shot dead by another soldier um, turns out he turns was mentally out, ill, right? Yeah, it turns out it was a Jewish guy, an Israeli guy. He'd run away from a mental institution. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, and that was, you know, a bit of a... It's really that sad, was, yeah. Yeah, it's a very sad ending to it. But And then everyone had to correct themselves afterwards. I, I saw a bunch of politicians as well who tweeted, like, uh, congratulations to the, to the officer that shot the terrorist dead and everything. And they all deleted their tweets afterwards. So I think it's always important maybe to, to wait just a few minutes just to find out exactly what the motive is and, and who well, the I attacker is and who the I victims keep using are. The, keep using the term print versus television mm-hmm. journalism, but it's not really print. It's also not exactly always television, but I, I, written journalism, I don't know, always has that advantage of waiting. And so when you're looking at news on TV because you want to see what's going on, you always have to take everything with an even bigger grain of salt. Like the information you're getting may not be accurate. Yeah. But uh, in your position, that's why I find waiting for the established. I, I actually, one of the reasons I, I do enjoy Times of Israel as a news source is they're not the first to break the story. It, if you, you have to wait for the story to even appear in Times of Israel. And I think that's because they're waiting yeah, to we, get it right. We definitely I'd rather try, it be right than first. Yeah, yeah. we definitely try and, and make sure that what we're publishing is correct, uh, first of all, rather than speed. Um, mm-hmm. I think speed, it's, it's good for some things on television, but, but there's the disadvantage of it being completely wrong or completely false or... <laughs> or of something that didn't happen or you know there's there's endless I, I examples the, of, of yeah. television reporting things that are just not correct i get the impulse you have this little rectangle in your pocket and it should tell yeah. you everything immediately as soon as you open it but that's yeah. just not how life works and i think we have to not have our phones dictate to us how we get our information we should use the phone as the tool we're not the tool of the phone i think i don't know what do i know just an educator uh <laughs> all right <laughs> Yeah. Well, thank you. I, 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 when my students ask me, is this going to be another intifada? Um, I don't think so. I mean, I, I'm not here to predict the future. I don't, exactly. I don't know what it holds. Um, it doesn't It doesn't seem like it's heading that way currently. It doesn't have the signs. But anything can happen. I don't want to be yeah. pessimistic about it, but, you know, Anything can happen. Uh, wars generally start from just some random event mm-hmm. that wasn't planned. It's never, there's never some sort of build-up really to these things, or a very short build-up usually. Just all of a sudden something can happen and it can spark some crazy conflict. But right now, just it doesn't seem that uh, that bad yet. It seems relatively, you know, there's been a few attacks, a few very deadly attacks, but it's not. Um, it's not hasn't reached that level yet where we're seeing constantly 
uh, attacks or to that to that level of what the intifada was. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm I'm a pretty weird dude. Like for me, I just I put the statistics in my head and I say, you know, the country of what over nine million people, like no matter where you go, you're relatively safe. And you know, in New York, as we record today on Wednesday, yesterday in New York there was a, a mass shooting in a subway car with tear gas. Like it was just. But the odds of you being on that particular subway car on that particular day, I would get on the subway today. And I think I think for most Israelis, there's just a, there's this sense of just going on with your day that maybe some of our Masa fellows and listeners find somewhat surprising. But when you think about it, it's not so surprising. It's that you put it into context and you move on with your day. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Manny. Well, I hope we can get you for happier topics in the future. Hopefully in the future. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Thank, thank you for having thank me. Thank you for your expertise and your perspective. Thank you, Matt. And I'm not going to stop the Zoom yet, but I am going to stop the recording because it's the end of the episode. Bye-bye. Now that we're part of Masao, we decided to add a cool new segment to each episode. We're going to call the Masao Moment. There are so many people having amazing experiences here in Israel, and we just wanted you to feel part of it and know what's going on. So enjoy this week's Masao Moment. Hi, my name is Journey Stein, and I'm a teacher at Masa Israel Teaching Fellows, currently working in Raha and living in Beersheba. On March 22nd, I was taking a nap after school when I was woken up by my phone ringing. I had texts and calls from my friends in Israel asking if I was okay. And that was how I learned about the terror attack that had just happened about 10 minutes from where I live. My first thoughts were of my other friends in Beersheba and trying to decide and figure out if they were okay. Both of my roommates were home, but it took about 20 minutes before I knew that my neighbors, who are also MITF teachers, were okay. Those 20 minutes really felt much longer, and this was the first time that I had ever experienced something like that. The day after the attack, it was really nerve-wracking to go to school in Rahat. Rahat is a Bedouin city, and the attacker had been Bedouin. My host teacher had already reached out to me and was really empathetic and sweet, told me that I should still feel safe at school and in Rahat in general. Well, I still felt safe at school, I still felt like I was hyper aware of how people treated me and I had to continuously tell myself that it was my own perception that was making me feel uncomfortable. I felt like I was more concerned about how the people in Rahat saw me than it was about my safety. I didn't feel that I was in danger, but I sometimes felt like I was at the very least less welcome than I had been a day before. It was really difficult for me to process this at first because I knew I hadn't done anything wrong. After listening to my students talk about how they felt after the attack, I kind of began to realize that they had the same fears uh, that I had had, just from the opposite angle. Masa Israel Journey is dedicated to shaping a promising future for the young Jewish individual, the global Jewish community, and the connection to the state of Israel. Masa offers life-transforming, long-term opportunities in Israel that allows fellows to create their own future. Check out MasaIsrael.org for more info.